So again, good morning, and uh, and I hope this morning's uh, message would be a real a real blessing for us. Closing off, closing off this passage that we have in uh, in Romans chapter fifteen, chapter fifteen verse four. It's a it's a passage that underlies um, our our church in a in a large way. Um, it was for me when I considered a passage that would be one that would give an idea to people with respect to this church, what it was that would be our focus. And, um, and so we, we, we have it there as our underlying passage. Uh, some people have there's a string of different passages that people use. I have seen the wonderful value of the Bible. I've seen the wonderful value of the Word of God. I've seen it... Uh, work miracles within my own life and I can better understand this entire world when I consider the precepts that I find within the scriptures. When I look at the word of God, I see I see everything that I need for life. It sets the standard for my life. It sets a precedent. Now, there'd be people that would call it old-fashioned. Well, <laughs> it's certainly old and it's a standard and um, you know what is most old-fashioned is us doing whatever we want to do you know that's old-fashioned you want to talk about old-fashioned that's old-fashioned and that's as old as it comes that's as old as every that's as old as Adam you know that is as old as Adam so we talk about old-fashioned yeah that is as old as Adam and yet we have here the word of God that in consideration of the things that are um, that uh, that are ways of life we see the Bible as that so whatsoever Things for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. This is, I think, the fourth element that we're looking at with regards to this, and it'll be the last. We're going to be closing off on this last point, which is on hope. Uh, and the title of the sermon this morning is Hope, the Assurance of Life. Four elements that we're going to be looking at. That is our standard diet that we have in a Baptist church for particular points that we consider the first is hope the desire of the heart the second is the sustainer of the will the third is the emptiness of its loss and the fourth is the assurance of our life so let's have a look at the first the first point this morning hope the desire of the heart for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. There is a desire in the heart of all people, a desire that encourages them, a desire that, that motivates them, that moves them, that, that gives them uh, the, the will to, to live. It's, 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 it's what motivates, it's what inspires. We've, we've often thought that it's this pursuit of, of happiness that is what we're all looking for in in life um but happiness isn't it's not it's not the object that we're after happiness is the fruit of something happiness has always been the fruit of something when something goes well within our lives we are happy that's the fruit of things that seem to go well within our life when we've attained something we we're happy that's the fruit of that object um when, uh, when you know, whatever it is, uh, you, can, you can think and you can use your own imagination of the things that you think that you're pursuing. You're pursuing them in order to bring you happiness. But the way happiness works is that happiness is temporal. 
when we have a hope as the object, there is a happiness that comes from that and a joy that comes from that that is not temporal. It's something that we can hold onto, we can grab onto. It doesn't mean that we're happy all the time. It simply means that we always have a ready resource, a ready resource to turn to that gives us the joy that we, that we often look for. Hope is that element in man which gives to them an uplifting of the soul when things are bad. It's the strength of the spirit. Uh, when everything else seems to fail you and um, we, uh, the opposite of it is true when there seems to be its loss. And we'll talk to that later. When there is a loss of hope, there is absolute and utter despair. When there is hope to look forward to, there is the very vitality of life, but its loss has the opposite effect within our lives. And we'll talk about that because that is, that is really, really important. So long there's been this thought in people's minds that happiness is the ultimate search for man, that happiness is the, the end goal. It's something that man needs to strive for. And I've spoken to this uh, a few years ago. They believe that the attainment of happiness is the ultimate desire of the heart, but that's false. That's false. Um, it's false not only as being uh, titled as the desire of the heart, it's false also in the assumption of its attainment. It's false in the assumption of its attainment. Um, Mortimer Adler, the chief editor of the Encyclopedia Britannica, Great Books of the Western World, he said this, he said, when men say that what they want is happiness, they imply that having it, they would ask for nothing more. In reality, this is a superficial desire. It's, it's not the object, but the fruit of that, which is the true underlying desire of us all, and that is hope. This is that which what we, that we are looking for. Um, and it's not the fleeting hope. It's not the fleeting hope of the world that we're talking about. The world has hope in temporary things. The hope of those who know the Lord is a hope of those things that are eternal. And it's interesting because if the world is looking after and looking for happiness, they recognize that happiness is temporal. Um, so they're always looking for the temporary things. The world always looks for the temporary things, but we hold on to those things that are eternal. And that's what we look for hope. The hope that we have is eternal. It's everlasting. Paul speaks of it in this passage. He says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And it's incredible when I look at this because happiness, the superficial temporary things that the world looks for, never satisfies. It never gives them the joy that they're after, not long term. It never satisfies. And, it, uh, and it's incredible to see. They look for happiness. They look for this temporal feeling within this life rather than look for the hope that gives place for joy, which is eternal. Hope is the end for that which people desire. We, we look for that wonderful hope. Now, imagine just for a moment that um, what it's like to have hope, regardless of your circumstances. Imagine what it's like to have hope, irrespective of what you're going through in life. Imagine, imagine how that sustains the soul. Imagine the work that that does within the heart, that irrespective of what occurs within your life, whether life or death, you have hope. 
Imagine what that feels like. Imagine considering that the hope that you're looking forward to is not something that's fleeting. You're not looking forward to just a temporary thing that's going to come and go, but it's something that's going to be there forever, for all eternity. Imagine what that's going to be like. And that's something that we can have. We have hope irrespective of the circumstances that we go through in life. We like to think that we have hope only when things are going our way, however. When all is good, we have hope. Our circumstances seem to identify our end. If the journey of life is good, then the end must be good. But is that true? Is that true? Is it true that if the journey of life is good, that actually identifies the end? Well, it can't be true. Not only because um, that's not our experience, but also because the opposite of it is false. Because the opposite of it is false. The opposite of it assumes that if we're going through difficulties within our life, therefore the end of our life must be bad. You know? So that's, that's obviously false. Paul speaks about this. He speaks about, you know, a, a bad journey through life doesn't necessarily dictate a bad end. Paul wrote, he said, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us in Romans 8.18. Jesus said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you in Matthew 5, 11 to 13. That, that wonderful sermon on the mount. So it simply cannot be true. It cannot be true that our circumstances in life identifies the end of life. Temporal difficulties and sufferings for some are not even to be compared with the hope that we have for all eternity, the, the, the temporal things that we go through. Yet so many people still think that happiness is the destination. They think happiness is the goal. They read or heard about that which was written in the Declaration of Independence in the United States for, uh, as one example. When Thomas Jefferson said that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. They think it refers to the end goal. Well, they didn't read that it is a pursuit only. It is a pursuit only. There is a recognition that there is no... If, if happiness is based on having things and, and obtaining good things, then... There is never a want for a desire for those good things. And you would think that that want and that desire for all those good things would continue for all of our lives. So if our entire life is the accumulation of all these good things and experiences, um, when are we happy? If it's not until the end accumulation of all those good things, when are we happy? Well, this is the interesting thing. I mean, one author actually said that. He actually said that. He said, you know, if it's based on the accumulation of all good things, then we're not going to be happy until our life is over, when we are dead, you know. So that's not the goal. The goal and the hope that we have is looking forward to a hope that is yet to be revealed in its material form for us. It's something that we are yet to see, but we know is laid up for us, and we know that it's there. Hope is that end. Hope is that desire of the heart. And even the godless desire the same end of the righteous. And this is really important because it's only those who know Christ, only those who have 
Only those who have a relationship with God, who have been forgiven of sin, who have trusted in Christ, his, his righteousness is given to them and they are therefore declared as righteous. It's only them that have that hope. And even the wicked recognize it. Balaam actually spoke about this in the book of Numbers of Jacob. And he said, who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. He's seeking after that which all people yearn for, and that is an ultimate hope, an eternal hope, an everlasting hope, one that's always there. Hope is this yearning of the heart that only the righteous actually have a foundation for. Only the righteous have that as a foundation. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. And there's a reason why it's important to recognise there is a reason why we have this hope. The reason why we have this hope is simple. It's because the hope is not based on us. It's not us trusting in ourselves. Psalm 31, verses 23 and 24. I love what the psalmist writes here. This is King David writing this. And he says, I love the Lord, all ye his saints. For the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully, plentifully rewardeth the proud doer. Be of good courage, he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Psalm 71, 5, he says, For thou art my hope, O Lord. Thou art my trust from my youth. We are trusting in God. We're not trusting in ourselves. We're not trusting in our circumstances. We're not holding our circumstances as our hope. We're looking forward and we're trusting in what God said with respect to our lot in life and our eternity. We're trusting in him and it's a sure foundation that we have. But the wicked, the wicked don't have any of these hope that they can look forward to. They're looking for hope. They're trying to find hope, but they don't know where it is because for the wicked, there is no actual hope that they can find. Proverbs 10, 28 says, The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. Interesting choice of words. The expectation of the wicked shall perish. In other words, the wicked are hoping for a good end. They're hoping that the end of their life is going to be good. They're hoping that they can attain all these things through life. And no, no matter, even if they go through bad things or good things in life, they're hoping that at death, they're going to be fine. But the Bible says that the expectation of the wicked shall perish. That expectation that they're going to be fine at the end of their life is going to disappear. Once they enter into eternity, all vain hope that they had will be lost. But not for the righteous, not for those who know the Lord. Solomon wrote, the wicked is driven away in his wickedness, but the righteous hath hope in his death. That's a fascinating truth that we have. We have hope in our death. This is the righteous. Paul wrote of the key to it in Galatians 5.5 saying, for we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. In other words, we have believed in the gospel. We've believed it by faith. We've trusted that Christ had died for our sins, that he nailed them to the cross, died for our sins, rose again the third day, and is today at the right hand of the Father. And all who believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That is what we believe by faith. That is what we believe. We know God is. 
That's, there's not a question. I mean, the evidence of that is all around us. It's there. The understanding of the things that are made testifies every day to the reality of God. You know, the heavens declare his righteousness and the heavens show his glory. And this is the wonderful thing. We know that. That's, that's not up for debate. Even the unrighteous will have no excuse at that particular time. But we believe by faith that Christ died for our sins. And that's what makes us righteous. The desire of the heart of all people is this sure hope. It's what they look for. It's what they desire to have for their end, no matter what their journey is like. Well, how is your hope today? How is your hope today? Are the things that you're seeing in the world affecting you? Are the things that you're seeing in the world getting you down? Are they, are they making you question that hope? It shouldn't. I know the difficulties that we go through and, and we, we can experience some despair at times, but you know, the question is, are these temporal trials causing us to forget the hope that we have? It shouldn't. It needn't. The Bible tells us what the, what the world is going to be looking like. There should be no surprise for us with respect to it. So in that, in that lack of surprise, then we are to be living pictures of hope for the people that are around us, you see, because the world around us is looking for it. The world around us is looking for hope. And they're not blind to the things that are going on in the world. There's something about this hope that we have that also sustains us. It gives to us the sternness that we need to move on. It sustains the will. And that brings us to that next point, the sustainer, hope, the sustainer of the will. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Paul speaks of hope as that which sustains the will. Just as the word of the Lord endures forever and that the scriptures cannot be broken, so therefore do we have a constant resource through which to have hope. Does that make sense? This isn't fleeting. Paul speaks about whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Well, if the scriptures will endure forever, which the Lord has promised that they will, if the scriptures are preserved forever, which the Lord promised he will, if the scriptures that were written aforetime and we have them now can endure, then so can our hope endure. It's the scriptures that help our hope, which sustains our will. We know that what we're trusting in is something that's sure. It's absolute. It doesn't fall away. It's not fleeting like a, like a book written by somebody that's discovered some new idea, you know, which is replaced by another person who's discovered another idea which is replaced by, you know where I'm going with that? I mean, when you look at philosophy, whether it's a philosophy of the days gone by through to today, what you find is a regurgitation of ideas all through the ages. It's a, it's a, it's a rejection of one idea and acceptance of another idea, then back again to the... It's just this constant cycle. You know, that's what we see with regards to the ideas of man in life today. There's no, there's no, there's no assurance of anything that's absolutely firm and solid. There's no constant which is what man is looking for. Constant we have is here. And because it's true and it's real, it sustains our will. And what do I mean by sustains our will? It sustains our will. It keeps us. It strengthens us for the journey. As we read the word of God, we see time and time again, the people of the Lord enduring difficulties. And 
It's, it's, it's through those difficulties that they seek after the Lord and he always blesses them. God always watches over his people. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. Psalm 121, 4-7. He is the preserver of our souls. We don't have to preserve our own soul. We don't have to preserve our own soul. He is the one that preserves our souls. Hope is the sustainer of the will. It helps you to grin and bear it. It helps you to move on through the difficulties, no matter what those difficulties are. It gives you a sternness of will. It gives you the courage to be able to endure. We just got to remember. We just got to remember. We got to remember that, you know, it takes effort and courage to swim upstream. You know, any dead fish can float downstream. You know that? Anyone can. Okay, but if we are going to allow the circumstances of life take away our spirit, take away our comfort and take away our hope, then we're no better than anybody else in the world. We forget that we have a hope that is steadfast, that is sure, that we can move on through these things. You know, we can move on through these things. Don't, don't let the trials of this life turn you away or, or, or oh, have you flounder. Move on, move through. Hope steals us for the work. We've got a work to do. We've got a work to do. And not least of which is to evident that hope, evidence that hope that's within us to a lost world, a world that's looking for it. Now, does this mean we don't despair at times? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean we don't despair. We can still despair. That can still happen. Turn your Bibles to Second Corinthians chapter 1. Ultimately, it's our trust in God that steals the hope that enables us to endure. Oh, sorry, did I say chapter uh, Second Corinthians? I did. Second Corinthians, chapter one. Have a look at um, have a look. Paul's this is Paul's second letter to the Corinthian church, and he tells them first of the trials that he and those that were with him had, but he assures them of their hope. Have a look from verse eight. He writes, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of the trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. This is Paul's hope. This is what he's looking forward to. It didn't matter to him. He even understood, even if this costs our life, we will endure. We will work through this. Why? Because we've got a sentence of death within ourselves. There's no other purpose within our lives but to be able to have that gospel shared to people far and wide. It's why Christ came. It's why he died. And it's our work. And if we don't, then we have a real struggle with this. Paul goes on here and he speaks about the prayer of the saints that help lift them up. This is vitally important. We need to be praying people, a praying people, praying for one another. 
You know, we pray for ourselves, but we need to pray for one another. We need, we need to be able to lift each other up through prayer. Because each one of us at one point in our life is going to be going through some great difficulties. We have to be a praying people. Um, this, is, this is a real simple thing. If you know the Lord, then he hears your prayers. You know, he hears your prayers. If you know the Lord, the Lord knows you, he hears your prayers. If you don't pray, uh, there's nothing for him to hear. Okay? There's nothing for him to respond to. You have to be a praying person for him to hear your prayers and for him to answer those prayers. Now, if you don't know the Lord, well, it doesn't matter how much praying you have because it's unlikely that he's going to hear. You have to know the Lord. Know the Lord and pray. Know the Lord and pray. Paul acknowledges the prayers of those who helped him endure that which had him even despairing of life. Is it not then reasonable to expect the same from each other? We pray and we should expect an answer. We should expect an answer. We should expect the Lord to move. And it's, it's, it's crazy for us to think that, you know, he won't hear or doesn't hear or won't respond or doesn't respond. He responds to our prayers if you know the Lord, we should expect an answer. If you don't know the Lord or are known of the Lord, then you can't have any confidence that you're ever going to get an answer. One of the things we have to do is know the Lord. If you don't know him, there's not going to be a response. You can't expect the Lord to answer the prayers of those with whom he has no relationship. So turn to Christ. Admit you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus died for your sins. Call on his name that he would save you and pray and ask him to give you the Holy Spirit. You know, he actually says that in Scripture. He holds the Holy Spirit back from no one who asks him for the Spirit of God. If you've received the Spirit of God, then you're born again. And this is the thing that we are to look forward to. You, however, who now have hope in him, you have access because to you it is written, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4.16 Hope is the sustainer of the will. The will, it's interesting because the world knows that hope sustains the will. Um, it's what keeps them going. It's what keeps them strong to fight on. They, they see that which they hope for and they understand it to be their strength. So how much more for us who have a hope that can never be taken away? If the world is hoping for a temporary hope, then what of us? What of us who have an eternal hope to look forward to? How much more should we be strengthened by all of this? We have already given consideration to the definition of hope and its distinction of use in the world. It's, it's fleeting, but for us, it's sure. We are able to do all things through Christ. We don't rely on ourselves. If you're still in 2 Corinthians, move to the fourth chapter. I'm going to read a portion of the Bible here that describes, I guess to the greatest level that I can find, uh, that hope that sustains the will no matter the trials. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 it was written by Paul out of his experiences in chapter 6. And he goes on in detail of these trials. And, uh, and in chapter 6, I'd encourage you to read chapter 6. Very, very important. 
2 Corinthians chapter 4, we're going to read from verse 8 to 18. He says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We have the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundance of grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So you see, the world sees only the temporal. They only see the things that they can see. They cannot see the things that are unseen. We hope for that which is unseen that is promised to us through the scriptures. It's the scriptures that were written aforetime that give us that hope. It's the scriptures that we turn to. It's the word of God that is there. It is unseen, but we believe it to be true. It gives us a hope and it sustains the soul. It sustains the soul, you know, and it helps us to be able to endure. This is not the case for the world. The world, ah, the world, the world struggles to see hope that is eternal because they only look at the, thing, at the things that they can see. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I love that. He goes, I mean, he, he, he talks about his light affliction in chapter 6 of this book. You read it, you know, that's light affliction in his, in his eyes. You know, it's the same letter that went to, uh, that went to the Corinthian church. But the, world, the, world, the world struggles in a very different way. And we come to our passage, the emptiness of its loss. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. The world doesn't have the scriptures. The world doesn't have the scriptures. They don't have the word of God. They don't, they don't want it. Um, the world has done everything it can to disannul the, the, the Bible, to make it of none effect. They've, 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 they've hidden the word of God in a sea of obscurity. They've changed words here and changed words there and they've changed books completely and they've been able to secure through their own copyright a 20% redaction of words and changes and alterations in order to have a new version of what God said. They've continued to do that. They've done that for the last hundred years. We have the Word of God. We've got that in the authorised version of the Bible and we believe that's sure. And so to us, we've got a sure foundation, but the world, the world has been so uh, discouraged with regards to an assurance of the Bible that they no longer even open, open its pages. They see the things that are going on in the world today and they wonder what's going on. 
some of them have had um, uh, an upbringing, recognising what the scriptures teach about the future. Um, maybe their mind has turned back to that. Maybe they're giving it consideration and then asking questions. But the areas where the scriptures teach of how to live and what to do and how the hope to, to, ha to have, they don't have. We see hope within the word of God and we have an eternal hope. But what if it's lost? What if there was no such thing? What occurs to the soul of man when hope is lost? When you look at the world around you and you open your eyes and you don't try to excuse it, okay? So when you're looking at the world and you see it in all its pitiful state and you don't try and put a shine on it, you don't try and look, look at it through rose-coloured glasses, you look at it and you see it for what it actually is, but you're an atheist. To, to you, there is no God. There is no salvation. There is no hope that you can rely on some guy in the sky, you know? You're, that's your mind. That's where your mindset is. You, you think everything was a complete accident, including yourself. Um, and, and the only hope that you have is in you, and that hope fails you. The hope is lost. What then? What, what, what then? I mean, what happens when the worldview that you have of life comes crashing down around you? When you have looked at the world in a particular way and you've discovered that everything that you thought about this world has turned out to be a lie, what happens when your worldview is lost? What happens when that hope is lost? This occurs again and again and again in life. We see it in the lives of those who spend their entire life seeking after the things that are temporal. Some seeking after, after riches or, or success to the highest levels in their career. What happens to the man that spent the most fervent years of his life climbing the ladder of success? Imagine him, imagine him. He's sacrificed everything. He's even sacrificed family and friends and relationships and wives to climb that ladder of success. And he finally gets to the top and he realizes that it's been leaning on the wrong wall. What happens? I can tell you what happens. I mean, it's happened time and time and time again. Because of the struggle, because of the effort in reaching the top of that rung and realising that it was complete waste of time and realising everything that you've sacrificed, there's, there's, there's a... It's not much between, between that and your candle being just snuffed out. You know, it takes a... It takes a renewed strength and a renewed hope to actually come back down and, and, and change. Well, we've heard of the expression midlife crisis in men. And it's interesting because, you know, that's what I'm talking about. The fervent years of their lives are built in trying to climb this particular ladder of success. And when they realize they get to the top, they realize that's not where it's at. It's not where it's at. Stories of political revolutions in Europe when the dreams of Marxism threaded its way through the East and setting workers and having workers identify themselves as victims to their employers, it gave workers a hope, a vain hope, that if they would only put their employers back in, in their place because they're a victim, then they may succeed. They might have that wonderful 
praise and that wonderful privilege of life. And it's incredible. They've believed in this system. Um, and communism was that which they would run for and they would they believe it would right all the wrongs. And it was when that same communism turned upon those who fervently promoted it and destroyed their lives that all hope was lost. Richard Rawnbrand wrote in his uh, book, Tortured for Christ, he said this. It's fascinating because he was speaking about the tortures that he would have in prisons by these communists. And then he was absolutely stunned when those same communists who were torturing them in prison were thrown into prison. You know? And he said, later the communists who had tortured us were sent to prison too. Under communism, communists and even communist rulers are put in prison almost as often as their adversaries. Now the tortured and the torturer were in the same cell. He goes on, he speaks about how the, the Christians dealt with these men who once tortured them and dealt with them with love. But those who didn't know Christ, ooh, they, didn't, they didn't do very, very well at all against them because they sought, they sought vengeance. It was Vladimir Lenin who fathered communism in Russia who referred to such people as useful idiots. Useful idiots. They propagate a system that they themselves will end up being the product of. What happens to a life when you suddenly feel that there is no hope? In the foreword of a book written by Dr. Viktor Frankl called Man's Search for Meaning, Harold Kushner wrote of that which summarised what Frankl thought killed many of the prisoners in Hitler's concentration camps. Kushner wrote of Viktor Frankl and he says this. He says he describes poignantly those prisoners who gave up on life who had lost all hope for a future and were inevitably the first and they and were inevitably the first to die they died less from lack of food or medicine than from lack of hope lack of something to live for interesting isn't it now I want you to give some consideration to this i want you to give some consideration to this because unlike the prisoners in concentration camps Unlike prisoners who suffered under communism, unlike people who endure incredible affliction within their life and incredible suffering within their life, it's not the suffering that kills them. It's the loss of hope. If all your hope is in being popular and that hope is taken away from you, then your motivation for living is also gone. If all your hope is in wealth and attainment of goods and that hope is taken away from you and all the goods that you have attained are taken away from you. If all your hope was in that, then as far as you're concerned, life is also taken away from you. The, if, if your hope is for, for travel, for example, and you want to travel the world and you want to see all these things and it seems to fail, well then so too life seems pointless. If all your hope is for a family, and that seems also to fail, life seems pointless. If your hope is for a house, a career, a husband, a wife, a trouble-free life, and then that seems to fail, so too does life seem pointless. This is fascinating because, you see, what we have discovered time and time and time again, it's not the level of trouble or difficulties or pain that you go through in life that has you desire to end it. 
It's the lack of hope. Hope sustains life. And without it, when there's an emptiness, when there's a, a loss of hope, then life too seems empty. It doesn't seem worth living. We're seeing this time and time again. Don't underestimate how many people around the world are feeling that way today. In losing hope, they don't necessarily take their lives, but they live lives that are distracted from life in order to just get through life. You know, when, when hope is lost in the temporal things of life, so too is our desire to live fully for it. We don't live to the full. Jesus said that he came to give what? Life. And to give it how much? More abundantly. You know? He brings life and he brings life more abundantly. But, but when your hope is in just the temporal things of life and that's lost, then you can't live fully in this life. You start being uh, distracted. You start looking for things to just help you cope with life, to get through life. Records indicate that around the world to this very date, if we were to add up all the addictions to illicit drugs, prescribed drugs, alcohol, pornography, social media, entertainments and movies, music, reality television, computer games and console gaming. In fact, addictions to any, anything that can temporarily remove a person from having to deal with the real world, the numbers are well over 70% of the population of the world, especially the Western world. It's the Western world most particularly. 70% of the world's population turning to temporal distractions daily just to get through life. You know? This is one of the main motivators that people go to the movies. They go to cinemas and stuff like that because they just, they just want to zone out. You know? They, 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 they want to go into another world. They, they you know... I still don't get why they don't like horror movies. That doesn't make any sense, but... And a horror movie on a television screen would be worse than the life that they're living. That's better than a life that we're living. I don't get that. I don't like horror movies. It's not my, not my thing. But imagine, you know, they're going, they're going through all of that sort of stuff in life. They, they distract themselves with all that. And then they remember their biology teacher telling them that there was no purpose for your life, that you're merely a, merely a, a product in your environment. And then we wonder if R-U-O-K Day will help. You know, there's such a vanity in this world. Great, I mean, the Are You OK Day helps you think of other people, potentially, but will it help? People need an eternal hope. Those things that are written aforetime were written for our learning also has something to say about what it feels like to lose hope. Job said this in the depths of his despair, What is my strength that I should hope? What is mine end that I should prolong my life? In Job chapter 6 verse 11. In chapter 3, the first of his cries that would desire death rather than life, Job said this, Let the day perish wherein I was born and the night in which it was said, There is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness, let not God regard it from above. Neither let the light shine upon it, let darkness and the shadow of death stain it. Let a cloud dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, let darkness seize upon it. Let it not be joined unto the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. 
Lo, let that night be solitary. Let no joyful voice come therein. Let them curse it that curse the day who are ready to raise up their morning. Let the stars of the twilight thereof be dark. Let it look for light but have none. Neither let it see the dawning of the day because it shut not up the doors of my mother's womb nor hid sorrow from mine eyes. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Job 3, 3 to 11. The word of God has something to say about despair. It has something to say about every part of life. Job goes on and you have to read the rest of the book to see where he found hope. You know, But have a look at the level at the depths of despair. I'm sure that many people can't frame the words like this, but I'm pretty sure that there are many who have felt this way. Today there are multitudes who feel this way. Long have they lived seeking the hope that they desire, but each way they turn, each rock they uncover, each hidden corner they shine a light into, they cannot find hope and they are in despair. And then you come along. Then you come along. It's not just your smile. It's, it's, it's not just your kind words or, or your act. There's something about you that they can't seem to place. Something that doesn't seem to fit in this world. They see something in you that they don't see anywhere else. Something almost otherworldly. There's a peace in you, a, a comfort. You seem settled. You seem content. And they can't understand it. It's, it's settled. It's assured. It's well. You, you seem anchored. Something more. You might speak with them and they might discover that your life is not really a rosy one. You've got troubles. You've got troubles. You've got difficulties in life. But there's something evident in you that presses them to inquire. That's where we come to our last point this morning, the assurance of our life. I want you to turn to my recently most favourite passage for the times that we're living in, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 3. You know, I've spoken about this passage time and time and time again. It's such a precious, precious passage because it, 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 it fixes for us a view it fixes for us a consideration of our manner of life and what's expected in the world out there, where they might find hope. First Peter chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know, where, where there is a, um, a vacuum in the world of a certain commodity, there's always been a rush of alternatives to fill it, you know, always. Um, they, they, they never achieve the same outcome necessarily, but they always recognise as a temporary measure until something a little bit better comes along. And that's the picture that we have of 70% of the population of the world. They're doing all that they can to superficially deal with the world. 
And then you come along with your hope in Christ. Huh. That's very different. That's very different. I've never seen that before. It's different from everything else that they've seen around them. They ask the question. They question as to this hope that's in you. They see it as an anomaly. What is it? What is it that you have? What is it? I don't get it. It's like... It's like they've lived their entire lives trying to find that shape that fits perfectly into that ball puzzle that they played when they were children, you know, and they've never found it. And then you appear. It's a distant memory in their mind, so they can't make it out. So there's the question, how are you going to answer? How do you answer? Perhaps you can't explain it. Perhaps, um, perhaps you really don't even understand it yourself. Well, there is that which was written aforetime that you could turn to. So we're going to have a look at just a handful of scriptures here. Turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes here in verses 3 to 6. He says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which ye have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven whereof ye heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day ye heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth this is that hope. This is that hope. The hope that you have is the hope of the gospel. It's, it's your assurance. It's your confidence. It's your stay. It's your strength. It's that which gets you through life. Not only gets you through life, it's a sure hope because you experience it within. We have a peace within us that passes all understanding. We know the outcome of this world, but yet we have hope. We have something to look forward to that the world can't see. The world can't see. Go forward to verse 21. Have a look at verse 21 in that same passage, Colossians chapter 1. He writes there and he says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. You recognize this? Do you see what it speaks of you? It you were this way. If you were this way and now you are reconciled, so others are this way and can be reconciled. Do you get it? Do you see it? It doesn't, Salvation doesn't stop with you. You know, it goes on and it's there to be shared with other people. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unprovable in his sight. In verse 23, if ye continue in the faith grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Recognizing something with regards to the faith. There's a potentiality here. There's a potential here for you to move away from the faith. It doesn't change your salvation. It doesn't change your salvation. But be very, very careful here, because if you are overcome by the things that the world is overcome by, it doesn't take much for you to stray to lose your attention, to you lose your focus and to get distracted from the hope that you have within you. 
This is a responsibility that we have. You're still in Colossians, yeah? Go to verse 26. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. That's, that's you. That's you. That's you and I. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, what a hope that we've got to look forward to. And this is to the Gentiles. That's, unless you're a Jew, then that's you and I. You know, we're all Gentiles. And there's Gentiles out there who are suffering and who are going through great difficulties and who are looking for hope. And they need to see it in you. Turn to First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Moving forward past Hebrews, James. Then we get to Peter. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. We'll read. Peter writes in the introduction to this chapter, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Well, what assurance we have. What assurance of hope we have. Ready to be revealed in the last time. This is a hope that we have. It's an inheritance that's incorruptible, undefiled. It doesn't fade away. Everything in this world fades away. Anything in this world can be taken away from us. In a moment, it can be taken away from us. If our assurance and our hope is in the, the affairs of this life, then we have no assurance whatsoever. But our hope is in that which is incorruptible, which is kept. Not by us. By who? By the Lord. He's kept it for us. Have a look at verse 13. Same passage, First Peter 1. Have a look at verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind... Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That, that phrase, that phrase there, wherefore gird up your loins. It, it, it speaks, it's often spoken, you see it spoken about with Job, you know. Gird up your loins like a man, I will ask of you and you answer me, you know. In other words, strengthen yourself. Strengthen yourself. Be courageous. Be someone who can, who, who just... Toughen up with regards to this. Gird up your loins. Gird up the loins of your mind. And that's, that's, where, that, that's where the state of hopelessness often comes, comes into our minds. And this is what we need to be aware of. We need to be sober. We need to think soberly. We hope to the end in that grace. This is the gospel, guys. This is the gospel. Now for you who are, who are watching online, you have a hope of the gospel of Christ. You have a hope even now, even now. You have a hope now that if you would just be willing to bend your knee to the Lord, you're experiencing this life and you're experiencing this world and you're seeing that there's nothing here. 
If you would bend your knee now to the Lord and you fall on your face before him and admit to him that you are a sinner, that you are a sinner in need of salvation, that you have no hope within yourself, that the hope that you had within this world you recognize as temporary and you see how fleeting it is and you see that it would disappear as much as someone would even look upon it. But if you would have your hope in the Lord, ask him to save you. Believe that Jesus died for your sins. And this is something that you can only believe by faith. He died for your sins. He took all of your sins and he put it upon himself. And God put him on the cross and he was stricken for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities and by his stripes you are healed. If you would believe that, then call upon his name that you might be saved. Ask him to give you the Holy Spirit of God. Give, if you don't want your life, then give it to him. Give it to him and watch him transform it. Watch him change it. If you've now believed the gospel, then you are secured for all eternity. And that which was written aforetime and was written for our learning through the patience and comfort of the scriptures The book of Hebrews reminds us of this assurance and this steadfastness of that eternal and everlasting hope that we have. The last passage, the last two verses we're going to look at is Hebrews chapter 6. So you're in 1 Peter, go backwards. Go backwards past James to Hebrews chapter 6. And see the anchor that we have for our souls. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 18 and 19. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor for the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. The time is coming very soon for those of you who have hoped, that you will soon see the realisation of that hope. The Lord is coming. Jesus is coming for his church and he's coming very soon. And the signs of the times that we live in reveal that the time of our redemption draws nigh. So, 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 live. Live. Live with the hope that the world needs witness of until he comes. Maranatha, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again, dear Lord, for the wonderful joy of the word of the living God. We thank you, dear Father, for the hope that has been set before us. We thank you for the life that you have given us. And I pray, dear Lord, that we do not waste it on the temporary things of this world. I pray, dear Lord, that we would set firm our hope and our focus on the Lord and that we might be able to share the glorious truth of the liberty that we have to a world that's in desperate need for hope. We praise you, dear Father, for your work. And I ask you, dear Lord, your word continually doing its work within our lives. We ask you, dear Lord, be with us. Carry forward your saints, dear Lord, to continue to do the work 
because the harvest in every way is white. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.